0: Welcome to Stories of Iceland. I am getting quite tired. This year has been a lot. I keep thinking about a passage from one of the legendary sagas. You can see a funny version of it in the hilarious Norwegian TV show Norsemen. The original, on the other hand, is quite horrendous, but I'll quote it anyway. There's a precipice called Gillingsbluff near the farm and we call its peak Family Cliff. The drop is so great there is not a living creature that could survive it. It is called Family Cliff simply because we use it to cut down the size of our family whenever something extraordinary happens. And in this way our elders are allowed to die straight off without having to suffer any illnesses. And then they can go straight to Odin while their children are spared all the trouble and expense of having to take care of them. Every member of our family is free to use this facility offered by the cliff. So there's no need for any of us to live in famine or poverty or put up with other misfortunes that might happen to us. The phrase in Icelandic is Eiternestapi or Ætarstapi. Though Family Cliff is a serviceable translation, I might have called it the Ancestors Peak. The saga is set in Sweden, which seems quite fitting, and when it was translated from Icelandic to Sweden, there were quite a few cliffs there renamed to Attestuppa. Usually this passage has been taken with a grain of salt, Most people have argued that it must be completely made up, since nobody could be so heartless as sacrificing their older relatives for their own comfort. But this year has taught us that there are indeed some people who are ready to sacrifice the elderly. I for one would like my older family members and older people in general to live longer if at all possible. I might also be a bit bias since my lungs haven't always worked great and I would like to live longer, too. Though infection rates in Iceland are declining, we are now facing the death toll of the rise of the second wave. As of when I write this, there have been 24 deaths in Iceland by COVID-19. If you want to know what that means in relation to other countries, it is always easy to compare Iceland with the United States. For every Icelander, there are about 1,000 Americans. So, 24 deaths in Iceland would mean about 24,000 deaths in the US. We are on lockdown. My wife has worked from home for about seven weeks now. The boys are in school, but there are no extracurricular activities. No band, no sports. We have mostly grown closer in these times, though my 11-year-old keeps practicing his monster voices, which gets tiresome. I might have had him do a few screams in this episode, but I don't want to encourage him too much, or at all. I would love a bump in Patreon support before the Yuletide season. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. My newest supporters are Shauna and Rona M. I'd like to thank all of my supporters, especially Robin Williams, Troy Williams, and Kristen Rose, friends of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there. But this is Stories of Iceland and this is episode 38, Coalbottom Poker Riding. (laughs) Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavík. Today's story belongs to the wonder tale family of stories. It could be set anywhere in the world, but I decided to include it here since it has elements that have influenced Icelandic culture. The main characters in the story are the sisters Ása, Signi, and Helga. These are the most common female names in Icelandic folklore. I don't think there's any reason for this. The story includes the phrase, see through hill and knoll, which has come into common parlance in Icelandic. It was used in a song called Geknum hæðir by Thurstav Lokkarin. Geknum <laughs> I will put a link to the song at storiesoficeland.com. The title of the story, Kolarasa Dandi, was used as a band name for a pretty famous 90s group, which was later renamed Bellatrix for the international market. The change of name means that you can easily find Bellatrix on streaming platforms. You can also find them under the name Kolarasa Crocrianti, but I'm guessing most of you will need to copy-paste that name from storiesvitalent.com. For this episode, I have chosen to translate the title to English. Cold Bottom Poker Riding. Once there were in a cottage an old man and his wife and their three daughters. The eldest named Signy, the second Ausa, and the youngest Helga. The elder sisters led a blissful life compared with that of Helga, for they were much petted by their parents, and every fault of theirs was either pardoned or praised when it came to their parents' ears. Helga On the contrary, had little cause to rejoice over her parents' love for her, since she had to do all the worst work and everything that the old wife found above her strength. She had to do all the hard labor at home, take care of the kitchen and cookery, clean everything, and put all in order in the cottage. The elder sisters did not even look at these things, but sat in the house— on the dais, like court dames, all the winter, and basked in the sun all the summer. They dressed gaudily, and did nothing but make themselves look as pretty as they could. They regarded Helga with envious eyes, for, although she was dressed in rags, was forced to attend to the hardest and dirtiest work, and had only the ass-filled hearth for her bed— "'Everyone found her the nicest-looking of them all, "'and this was a sore pang to her sisters. "'Once there came a man, of fine looks, smartly dressed, "'and asked for the hand of Signy. "'The old man and his wife liked the man, and Signy no less. "'And as the match was found promising, and "'all the folks concerned in the matter consented to the stranger's request. "'The man then walked off with Signy at once.' But when they had gone a short way from the cottage, the man suddenly changed his appearance and became a three-headed giant. He then said to Signy, "'Which would you like me to do, to carry you or to drag you?' Signy chose what she liked best, that he should carry her. He made her sit upon one of his hats and thus carried her home to his cave." There he put her into an underground cellar and, tying her hands behind her back, walked off from her and locked the place. Soon after this, there came a man to the cottage and wooed Ausa. He was well-dressed and noble and manly-looking, and as both parents and Ausa liked him, consent was given to his wooing the maiden. The man went away with his bride at once. When they had gone a short way from the cottage, the man changed his appearance and became an awful three-headed giant, and put the same choice before Ausa as he had formerly put before Signy, her sister, and all their dealings together came to the same issue as those between the giant and Signy. For the third time, a man came to Karl's cottage and asked for Helga's hand. A manly and hopeful-looking bridegroom he seemed to be. The old man and his wife told the man not to mention such a thing, for now, they said, we have no daughter to give away, having married those we had. But the man pressed them more, the more they denied having a yet unmarried daughter. At last they said that they had still a daughter, but they could not fancy anyone so void of taste as to fall in love with her. For in the first place she was hideously ugly, and secondly the dirtiest and the most slovenly pig that had moved on the earth. The man was yet more eager than before to woo her, and prayed them to let him see her. Then Helga was fetched from the kitchen and shown to the stranger, and he prayed them to refuse him no longer their daughter's hand. The carl and his old wife then said he might marry their daughter— if it was his will but helga's answer or consent nobody mentioned the man went away with her and after they had walked a short way from the cottage was turned into a giant as before and put the same choice before her as before her sisters she chose that he should drag her and, after travelling, nothing more is told till he came to the cave with her and said, Now you shall undertake the housekeeping here, sweep the cave and clean it, cook my meals, wait upon me, and make my bed. For a long time after, Helga took care of all the housekeeping of the cave. During the day, waiting upon the giant, morning and evening, for all the rest of the day he was out hunting and fishing, and carried his spoil and cats home to the cave in the evening, and then took his meals without any ceremony. Before he went off in the morning, he took all forth for her, of which she might be in need in daytime. She noticed that the giant always went alone about his storerooms and other locked-up places, never allowing Helga to see what he had and always carrying away the keys with him when he went from the cave. The only living being in the cave, of whom Helga knew, was a little dog belonging to her. She observed that he used to disappear from her when she was busy, or did not pay attention to him, but when she called him, he used to come to her after a little delay. She concluded that he must be going far into the cave. Once she went to explore the cave herself and came to a locked door, before which the dog was lying. She peeped through the keyhole in the lock and thought she saw within two women sitting in one chair. And it suddenly came across her mind that these might be her sisters, a thought which disturbed her. If she were not mistaken to know that they were there, so harshly dealt with although they had not treated her formally any better than they might have done in the evening when the giant came home helga was very talkative and busy about him while he sat at his supper amongst other things she asked him how satisfied he was with her care of the cave he said that was all right enough she then went farther and asked him how he liked her He answered that he could not help saying he was very fond of her, and it was just, therefore, that he had fetched her away from home, knowing what sort of woman she was. Helga said, If you had thought any lot better fitting for me than that of being your slave, you would not have distrusted my going about all the parts of your caves, or having charge of your storerooms, that I might enjoy the charms of your wealth with you. But you lock up— all for me, and put in my hand in portions measured out by yourself, what I have to use, thus grudging me free entrance to your property. The giant said that it was true that he had not given her the keys, but this, he continued, I did to try you. Now I shall no longer hide from you. That is my intention, soon to marry you, and from this hour you shall take these keys of all my storerooms. "'and of every door in the house. "'But I warn you strongly not to open a certain door in the cave, "'although you have got in the bunth the key to it, this door.' "'He sat beckoning towards the doors he had already looked through. "'Must not be open if you love your own life.' "'Helga took the bunch of keys and said, "'You have done well, giant, as you have shown me "'that you are not going to dishonor me in any way.' and that you trust me with free and unhindered charge of your things and allow me free entrance to your locked-up storerooms indeed the time is approaching when i need to be thoroughly acquainted with your household affairs more than i hitherto have been but as you say that you are going to marry me within a short while, I certainly think it wiser to put the cave in order and furbish it up, in order to have it prepared for the feast, and I will begin my work tomorrow. Then they went to their beds and slept through the night. Next day the old giant went away, as was his wont, but Helga began examining his things. Once he had done this, he went to the door to which the dog had been used to go, and tried in the lock the only key that was left in the bunch, and it at once opened the door. Once she entered, she found her sister starving and thin, and nearly dying. She unbound them, and refreshed them as far as she could. Then they told her what sort of life they had led with the giant, how he had tried to force them to marry him, and, on their refusing had thrust them into this out-cave, and given them just enough food to keep them alive. Then said Helga, "'Now is there need of a speedy ride and a speedy deed, and if all shall go off smoothly, I am determined to deliver you from your misery and get you away from here, whatever my fate may be afterwards.' I will put you in a sack wrapped in fish skins and other leavings of the giant's meal, and will bid him carry the sack home to our father and mother. So she took a large sack and put her sisters into it, and packed all round them the leavings from the giant meals, and then set up the sack leaning against the wall of the cave. When the giant came home in the evening, Helga was very sullen and gloomy, The giant asked her very gently what ailed her. She said that two things were the cause of this. Firstly, she was very tired after the toil of the day, and secondly, she knew that her parents had nothing in the house to eat, while she was living here in plenty of every kind. The giant felt for her when she had thus bewailed herself for a while and comforted her by saying that it was an easy thing to find some remedy for this. Helga said, I have been thinking today how you might, with the least loss to yourself, relieve my needy parents. I think that the leavings from your meals would be no great loss to you, as they have been lying, strewed all over the floor of the cave like lopped branches, until now when I have gathered them together and put some of them into your own sack. And if that sack was, well... At my parents' disposition now, it would be a great store for them. But now the sack was waxed so heavy that I cannot lift it at all, although it contains only a tithe of your leavings. Now I hope you will, for my words, carry the sack home to Carl's cottage tomorrow, in order to both relieve my parents and to free me from the sad bother I have had in looking after your leamings, but I forbid you either to open the sack or to touch anything in it. You need not fancy that I shall not know if you trespass against this command, for keen is the sight of my eye, as it sees through hill and knoll, and my cave with ease. So if you should do otherwise than I have bidden you, do not think of ever marrying me. The giant said he would do all that was agreeable to her will, and added, Tomorrow you shall prepare all for our marriage." He then showed her everything he would have for the marriage feast, and Helga found the things that he would have at the banquet rather a large size and trolleys in quantity. Amongst other things, he took forth a bundle, undid it, and took from it a marriage attire for Helga which he wished for her to dawn, once he had prepared everything for the feast, that there might be no delay when the guests arrived. For, on returning from her parents, he would, he said, go and invite the wedding guests. Helga promised that everything should be ready when the guests arrived, and made believe to be very eager for the speedy sealing of their union. After this they left off talking and went to their beds. Next morning the giant was early up. He took the sack, put it on his back, and went away towards the cottage. When he was some way from the cave, he put the sack down, finding it wonderfully heavy, and rested himself a little. As soon as he had put down the sack, one of the sisters said, Mind the eye of Helga, that sees through hill and knoll, and her cave with ease. Now the giant thought that Helga saw all that he was about, and said, Oh no, I must not pry into this sack, not even if beneath it my spine would crack. For keen is the eye of my Helga. She sees through hill and knoll and cave with ease. After this, he took the sack on his back and went onwards. But a second time he got tired, and finding the sack strangely heavy, he put it down. "'But then he heard, "'Mind the eye of Helga that sees through hill and knoll and cave with ease,' "'and answering in the same words as before he went on. "'It was the same story over again when he rested for the third time. "'At last he got to the carl's cot and gave the sack to the old cottage couple. "'Now we must tell how Helga cleaned the cave.' and put all in order, preparing for the marriage feast. She made the greatest haste she could, and had the tables all spread, with everything on them that ought to have been there. Having finished all this, she took the trunk of the tree that stood in the cave, and dressed it in her own marriage attire, and put it where she thought her seat would be. Then she smeared her face all over with potsuit, threw coal dust and ashes over all her dresses, took the poker using it as a horse, and sat on it and rode away. She had gone but a short way before she met the giant at the head of a large troop of guests, trolls, and rock giants. He accosted Helga and asked her what was her name. She said that her name was Coal Bottom Poker Riding. He asked again, Rider of the poker, black as sooty stoker, didst thou not call at meal's head at all? She answered, I passed in my riding, that place of abiding, and saw the whole feat. The tables were beamingly dressed, and, beseemingly, the bride kept her seat. The goblets were glowing, with wine overflowing, for weddings so meet." Then said the giant, Ho, ho, let us ride, fast us ride, onwards to my waiting bride. Then all the guests answered in chorus, Swains, let us ride, fast let us ride, onwards to his waiting bride. After that Helga parted with them and soon met another troop, in that there were troll women only and ogresses. They accosted her as the giant had done. Rider of the poker, black as stoker, didst thou not call at Mealset at all? She answered, "I passed in my riding that place of abiding and saw the whole feat. The tables were beamingly dressed, and beseemingly, the bride kept her seat. The goblets were glowing, with wine overflowing, for wedding so meet." Then cried the trolls. Lasses let us ride. Fast let us ride. Onwards to the waiting bride. After that Helga parted with them. The trolls went on to the cave of Milseth, but Helga turned as soon as a hillock hid her from the view towards the Karl's cot, and told her parents and sisters how matters stood. She remained at home A little while only and then went away to spy how things got on at meal set now turns the story to the giant and his guests when they came to the cave they saw tables spread and benches set all ready for the merry feast they also saw the bride in her seat and all stepped up to her in order to greet her and wish her joy of luck but she neither looked nor turned towards them, nor did she even return their courtesies. This they thought a wondrous odd, and by no means least the bridegroom. Then they looked closer at her, and saw, to their great amazement, what preparation had been made here for the reception. The giant saw how badly he had been dealt with, and how baffled he was, and many of his guests were sorry for his mishaps. Others of the guests, however, found that they had been made fools of, as the giant had invited them to his marriage feast, only to mock them with a trunk of wood. First rose hard words, and then a riot between the giant and his followers on one side, and those guests on the other, who thought they had been humbugged by him. So they set to work to fight, and went on fighting till not one of them was left alive, and Helga saw from the outside all this unfair proceeding. When the trolls were felled, Helga ran home to her cottage as fast as she could, and fetched all her family. They dragged out from the cave all the dead bodies, and gathered a pile round them, and put fire to it, and burned up all those monster folk into cold cinders this done they took all that was left in the cave of any value and brought it home to the carl's cot after this helga got many carpenters and much building material and had a large and fine house made for herself in which she took up her abode her sisters never reached to any accomplishment of any kind for they were void of all character and briskness of mind being unaccustomed to any work and knowing nothing that could be of use to them but helga married afterwards a hopeful man and they prospered in every way loving each other both long In the folklore collection, the tale actually ends with a silly rhyme, the latter part of which is often repeated as a standard for marking the end of stories. The rhyme in itself does not make much sense, and when I was a child it made even less sense. I thought it went something like this. Cat in a swamp, put a driving wheel upon itself, and so the tale has ended. My confusion was that the word I thought meant driving wheel... Had an older meaning, that is, a tail. So the cat in the swamp put a tail upon itself, and the episode has come to an end. That is it for today, thanks to Vita von Halstare, Emily Cooper, Julie Fisher, Emily Harper, Ewin Williams, Jon Helgeson, Christopher Both, Austin Ewell, and all my other supporters and as always special thanks to Robin Williams Troy Williams and Kristen Rose friends of the podcast i am Oleg Nestorov and this has been stories of Iceland episode 38 Cold bottom poker riding <laughs>